Well, it's a, a joy to be here with you this morning, and I bring the greetings of Boston Baptist Church, which is where I'm from. Uh, thank you for the kind invitation. It's a while since I've been here. Uh, you were in a pastoral vacancy the last time, uh, which gives you some idea of how long ago it was. And, uh, and it's good to see the church uh, looking well. You're all looking very well. And, uh, and that's, that's good to see because clearly that means God is at work. And uh, when I pondered what I was going to talk about this, this morning, uh, I was led to uh, a passage in uh, Romans, and we're going to look at that in just a moment. Uh, but then when I reflected on it a little bit later, the words that I'd written, it, I realized that this is what I call an aha uh-huh sermon. Uh, by uh-huh sermon, I mean that everything I'm going to tell you, you already know. So that's me done then. Um, no, it, it, all of this is stuff we know. But of course that's true whenever we open the Bible. Those of us that have been followers of Jesus Christ for a while will be very familiar with much of it. And so as we read it, there's always a temptation, isn't there, to, to skip over it. I know that bit. And look at something else. And sometimes we're called just to, to ponder, to pause and look again. And it never ceases to amaze me that how often I read a passage of Scripture, God will always reveal something new to me. And my prayer is that today, although this is a familiar passage, it will reveal something fresh to each one of us here. And that includes myself. Uh, But also that it would remind us of some of those truths that we already know. So I'm going to begin. We've just had some wonderful uh, singing, an opportunity to praise God in song. And it, it's really uh, amazing how that can set the, the, the mood of the church, how it can enable us to just commune with God. Because we don't have to think about the words, thankfully. Somebody else has done that. And, and I find that so many of the songs that are around, especially some of the uh, contemporary songs, have come back to those deep theological themes of some of the old hymns. And so that as we sing them, we really do connect and set ourselves right. And often this is what we call worship, isn't it? Often this is the thing that we would say is worship. And the first thing I put down and, uh, and, and wrote was, if I asked you to define worship, I wonder what you would say. And I guess for many, worship is associated with the songs that we sing as a part of our service. We look forward to the worship every week. I wonder if you've ever uh, thought about Um, what worship does for us. Uh, Well, I've perhaps talked a little bit about it. It's a bit like uh, 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 an opportunity, isn't it, to give a part of ourselves to God. God doesn't care what we sound like. You know, it's really wonderful that he doesn't doesn't care if we're in tune. He doesn't care almost if, if we get the words wrong. Because what he wants is that heart pouring out to him that's, that's where the worship is. And, and, and of course, that doesn't just relate to, to, uh, to songs. Now, I don't know. I didn't know all of the songs this morning, and I'm very grateful for introducing us to uh, The Lion of Judah, which I think is a wonderful song. I'm going to steal that and take it back, and we'll probably use that at Boston at some point. But I, 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 again, I wonder if, uh, if, if, um, if you ever feel... If the music is good, 
that it has been a good service. The worship was good. And if it isn't so good, you know, it doesn't quite mesh with you, whether you think when you leave the church, you know, the worship wasn't quite so good today, was it? Uh, and I think that um, sometimes, sometimes it's possible to leave uh, the church uh, because of the worship style. Now, I know people that have left churches because they didn't agree with the songs that were sung. And, and, uh, and I find that quite tragic but I think it is also perhaps reflective of, uh, of where we are uh, in the world today. And of course, there's a great danger. I'm going to have to be really careful that I don't drift into areas that I shouldn't, uh, shouldn't tread. Um, uh, I think there's a real danger for the church uh, in this day and age to emulate society in the way it approaches God. And uh, in that, I think that... Uh, that there is a danger that we, uh, we only engage in worship when it suits us, when there's something in it for us. Uh, and we come to church with an expectation of we're going to receive. And I know that God wants us to receive. I'm not saying that for any, uh, any reason at all. God wants to bless each and every one of us here. There isn't a single person in this room that God doesn't want to bless. But that isn't the reason that we come to worship, or it isn't the primary reason that we should be gathering together. Uh, because, of course, worship includes the singing, it includes the prayers, but it's so, so much more. It's the fellowship that we enjoy together. Uh, we live stream our services, and I touched on this a little bit last week, because, of course, I know that those folk that are watching online, uh, some of them probably in their pyjamas, certainly with a cup of tea or coffee, are quite relaxed. And, of course, they can engage with God through the medium of the internet. I'm not suggesting that they can't do that either. But what they cannot do through the internet and is to enjoy physical fellowship one with another. And Scripture teaches us that that's an important part of who we are. We grow as a body of believers when we come together. We learn from each other. We challenge each other. We keep each other on the, on the straight and narrow, if you like. Uh, and and I'm, I realise that I'm already beginning to drift away from what I really wanted to talk about. So I must come back. I must come back. You know, worship is about giving. It's about giving our lives again to God. And we do this day by day. It's not about the feelings we get when we sing. It's not about the uh, convincing God to bless us because he wants to do that anyway. Worship is not about whether the guitar was too loud or the singers were out of tune. Uh, it's not about the lighting or the sound. It's not entertainment. Worship is not about us at all. It's actually all about God. So let's hear what Paul says in our reading today from Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 to 8. Dear friends, God is good. So I beg you to offer your bodies to him as a living sacrifice, pure and pleasing. That's the most sensible way to serve God. Don't be like the people of this world. But let God change the way you think. Then you will know how to do everything that is good and pleasing to him. 
I realize God has treated me with undeserved grace. And so I tell each of you not to think you are better than you really are. Use good sense and measure yourselves by the amount of faith that God has given you. A body is made up of many parts and each of them has its own use. That is how it is with us. There are many of us, but we each are part of the body of Christ as well as part of one another. God has also given us each different gifts to use. If we can prophesy, we should do it according to the amount of faith we have. If we can serve others, we should serve with, uh, if we can, t- uh, sorry, if we can teach, we should teach. If we can encourage others, we should encourage them. If we can give, we should be generous. If we are leaders, we should do our best. If we are good to others, we should do it cheerfully. As I said, a familiar passage, um, although I'm more familiar with it, I, I, I have to say, with the NIV, so I apologize for getting some of it a little bit wrong. Sometimes life is easy uh, to live and to live a second best. Often as we get older, we become more stuck in our ways and we become tired of change. I came across a story. Two older women were walking along the shoreline of a, of a, of a lake when a frog came hopping up to them. Creaking with age, one of them slowly bent down and scooped up the frog in her hands. As she stood there gazing at the frog, fascinated by its ugliness, the frog croaked, Hey, I'm not really a frog. If you kiss me, I'll turn into a beautiful prince who will do anything your heart desires. Startled, the old woman uh, slipped the frog into her pocket and continued on down the shoreline. A while uh, later, as these two ladies uh, continued their walk in silence, one turned to the other and said, Well, are you going to kiss the frog or not? No, I guess not, the first woman replied. At my age, I think I'll have more fun talking to a frog. (laughs) God's will for us is that we should be transformed. And as we come to worship today, it's my prayer that we leave this place a little different to that that we arrived. Some passages of scripture seem to to really shout at me. I don't know about you. And if I'm honest, this is one of those passages. There is just so much in it. So what do we draw out? What can we take from it? And perhaps something a little bit different. You know, if you're a person that underlines passages in your Bible, I'm one of those, I get the pencil out and, and, and scribble and, and draw all over it. Uh, I think these opening two verses are worthy of underlining. Let me read them to you again. Dear friends, God is good. So I beg you to offer your bodies to him as a living sacrifice, pure and pleasing. That's the most sensible way to serve God. Don't be like people of this world, but let God change the way you think. Then you will know how to do everything that is good and pleasing to him. The NIV puts it slightly differently. 
I urge you, brothers and sisters, it says, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And, uh, and, and, and I, I, I get a real sense of the importance, of the urgency that, uh, that Paul is trying to uh, uh, just give to those that are reading this letter. I beg you, please, I urge you, this is important stuff. And then he goes on to say what it is. You know, Christian life is all about offering ourselves to God. And that's the heart, to me, of what worship is all about. It's offering ourselves to God. Yes, of course, it's good to sing songs that lift our spirits. It's good to come away from a service feeling that God has touched us or we've been blessed by those around us. But it's more important, I would say, what we bring as we come before the Lord. Jesus said that at the heart of all scripture is the command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. Of course, he then went on to say, love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, Jesus says that if you get nothing else right, make sure you get this. Offering ourselves to God is why we were created. It's the reason for our existence. It's our purpose. We were born to bring honour and glory to God and enjoy Him forever. This isn't just for a few years or a short while. This is for all eternity. And in our passage today, Paul tells us why we should offer ourselves to God, how we should offer ourselves to God, and what happens when we offer ourselves to God. And he begins by saying, in view of God's mercy, we are to be prompted by God love I'll try and remember to do these so we are to be prompted by love and I wonder if you notice that, uh, that in the NIV translation it says that we're to offer ourselves to God in view of God's mercies because of what he has done for us his love for each one of us is so amazingly great that there isn't anything that can surpass it and he wants us to know that And worship is our response to that love. And Paul uses a Greek word here called parakaleo, which means to encourage or call to your side. And of course, here it's given that sense of dynamism as it's translated as beg or urge. No, this is something that we we really should be excited about. We should be enthused. We should feel that it gives us that buzz. We have a great salvation granted to us in God's mercy and grace through Jesus Christ, his Son. And it says here that we should offer ourselves to God because that is the most sensible way to serve God. As an aside, the NIV uses the, uh, the word spiritual act of worship. And that spiritual act of worship is distinguished from worship ordinary which can be really just a mechanical activity. It can be quite formal. And we need to be uh, distinct. We need to be somewhat uh, different. This isn't uh, something we substitute. This must be real. It's personal. 
It's not representative. It's not uh, done by somebody else. It's not done by a priest who worships for the congregation or professes to offer sacrifices as their representative. This is something between you and your Lord, your God. And we all come together to do exactly that, to offer ourselves. And the word that the Bible uses that's translated this, this way is actually logikos. And you might get a sense of, of what English words might find their root here. It's the logical response to God's love. And hence the CEV says, that's the most sensible way to serve God. Are we sensible people? I believe we are. Do we want to honour God? I believe we do. And therefore we give ourselves to him. And not just for that hour, hour and a half on a Sunday or for a couple of hours during the week for prayer meetings or Bible studies. This is about our coming to God with every part of our lives. And I'll come on to that a little bit more. Let me ask you a question. Why do you come to church? I come to worship my Father in heaven. My focus is offering God thanks for everything that he has done in my life. And I mean everything. Even those trials, those struggles. I might not thank him quite at the time. But afterwards I can see how he's used those to help me to grow. Or help me to support other people that are going through something similar. And so everything, every experience we have is, a, is something we can praise God for. Henry Ward Beecher was one of the great preachers of the 19th century. And he was ill one Sunday. And so a substitute pastor was asked to, to stand in for him. And he walked up to the pulpit as the worship service began. And seeing that Dr. Beecher would not be speaking that day, a number of people got up and headed for the door. And that preacher said, all those who came here to worship Dr. Beecher this morning may leave. <laughs> All those who came to worship the Lord may stay. Everyone sat down. But sometimes we do, don't we? I know there, will, there may be people at Boston that haven't gone to church today because I wasn't there. And I think that's tragic. I think that's, that's a, a, a catastrophe, really. Because they're there for the wrong reason. It, we're not here to follow the, the minister the minister is there to serve the church, not the other way around. He's there to facilitate the worship of God. He should never become somebody that is idolized or lifted up. As I say, he is a servant and there to support and encourage. And so it's important that we recognize that. It's important that they become the vehicle by which God's love is expressed. And it's that love, that love of God that touches each and every one of us that should prompt us to be uh, people that are a living sacrifice. And so it, we move on to the how. You know, how is it that we can do this? Every part of our lives should be our spiritual act of worship. You know, and and I've, I touched on that a moment ago, didn't I? You know, when we're washing up the breakfast dishes, when we're cooking dinner, when we're taking the dog for a walk, when we're looking after the children, whatever it is that we're doing, we do it as an act of worship to the Lord. 
you know, when we're at work, whatever, everything is an act. It's about giving our heart, our soul, our mind, our lives, all that we are. And of course, every one of those gifts that we give to God will be different because every one of us is different. It's not about looking at the other people and sort of saying, oh, if only I could play the piano or the clarinet or only if I had a voice that could sing or if I could lead the children's work or all that thing. You know, that is, that is not profitable work. God has gifted you in a very special way. And he calls you to use the gifts that you have for his glory. That is our act of worship. That may be just, you might not be able to do anything but pray. And I'll tell you now, that is probably the most important gift that anyone can have. That anyone can pray for someone in need. For the needs of the church, for the needs of the fellowship, for the needs of the community. A blessing indeed. Or you might just be able to listen to somebody as they pour out their heart to you. So don't say, I can't. But remember what you can. And in doing so, do it with joy for the Lord because that is living as an act of worship. That is giving yourselves. You know, worship is focusing our minds on God, our attention. In many religions, the idea of worship is to put your mind in neutral and to follow what is being led, to sort of lose your mind to the universe in meditation. Well, I just want to warn you that Nature abhors a vacuum and Satan is all too ready to jump in and fill it. And so we need to be very purposeful. We need to be intentional. And our intention should always be focused on God. So in whatever we're doing, we need to be honouring Him, giving Him our all. And I recognise that takes energy. It's not just going through the motions, but it is really thinking about what God needs, what God wants of me now. And it isn't always easy to do, and I acknowledge that. And we should acknowledge it. Worship is giving our heart, our affections to God. The Bible says that God wants to be loved. You know, we were made for that purpose. I wonder when the last time you said, I love you, Lord, was. Not as a a verse out of a song or a line out of a song, but you actually came to, to the Lord and said, you know, I love you, Lord. I love you for all that you do. Because again, it's, it's an underlying element within God. It's particularly true of the book of Hosea. God's desire for us is not that we would simply serve him as a master, but that we would love him. Hosea 6, verse 6 says, I don't want your sacrifices. This is God saying, I want your love. I don't want your offerings. I want you to know me. And that speaks of a relationship. And a relationship is living. It's dynamic. It's real. Now, I've been married for a few years now. And, uh, and imagine were I to, to walk up to my wife on our anniversary, and say, my darling, here are some flowers for you. I'm giving you these flowers for three reasons. Point one, I'm your husband. Point two, it's our anniversary. And point three, husbands are supposed to give their wives flowers on their anniversary. So here, 
wouldn't she be thrilled? I don't think so. And the reason is, she wants me to love her. She wants me to show that love in all sorts of different ways. Little things, not buying gifts necessarily, although I know she does like flowers. She doesn't want duty. She wants desire. And God is exactly the same. God doesn't want your duty. He wants your desire. God doesn't want, oh, okay, uh, I better go and worship. He wants, I love you, Lord. I'm here for you. Show me what I can do. He doesn't want ritual or religion, rules and regulations. He wants a relationship. And he's passionate about it. He says, I want you to love me as much as I love you. Because I made you and I created you. And I hope that makes you feel special. The church is a family. And in any family, there is work that needs to get done. In most strong and happy families, the work is shared. That means that the children have to help out around the house. You cannot expect to just live in a house and get all the benefits without contributing. At a family meal, you don't just get up and leave when the meal is over. You stick around and help clean up the dishes, perhaps putting them in the dishwasher. This is very different from when you visit a restaurant. When you go to a restaurant, you have an expectation that all you have to do is pay the bill and then you get up and leave. You don't have to worry about who's going to do the clearing up. If you go to a hotel, you don't worry about who's going to make the bed or empty the bin. You just pay your bill and leave. There's a very big difference. And we are called to be family. We're not just uh, buying uh, an activity or a moment in time. And one of the problems today is that there are so many that treat it like an institution and not a family. Like visiting a restaurant or going to a hotel, coming when it's convenient. You sit there and you're fed. And then, like the service, uh, maybe you leave a tip in the offering plate and then come back next week. You reduce church to an institution and approach it with a consumer mentality. That isn't what God wants. That isn't why we should be here. Because God, uh, church is not about us. It's not about what we get out of it. It's about what we give. It's about that relationship with God. So what happens when we begin to live recognizing that grace from God, that mercy, and living our lives wholly for Him? Well, oh. Yeah, we're there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we are transformed. We become different. We are transformed into a new likeness. Don't be like the people of this world. But let God change the way you think. Then you will know how to do everything that is good and pleasing to him. I think there's a real problem in churches today. Churches are trying to become popular. And in trying to become popular, what they're doing is they're accepting a lot of uh, our culture, our society's behavior. Because if we don't, then they won't like us. Well, we're not here to be liked. 
We're not here to be like the world. We're here to be distinctive. We're here to be as Christ teaches us. And when we spend time offering ourselves to God in worship, it changes us. It transforms us. As we worship the truth of God's love and character, we begin to change in the way that we think. And when you change the way you think, you change the way you act. Your whole life is transformed. To be conformed means to fashion something after. And God does not want us to be fashioned after the pattern of the world, but after the pattern of heaven. In worship, we take our attention off things around us and concentrate on God. And in doing so, our thoughts are directed or redirected from earth to heaven. To pray is to change. And prayer is a central avenue that God uses to transform us. Did you realize that prayer was two-way? It isn't just bringing your list of requests or even uh, giving your adoration. I encourage you, and it's really, really hard, but I encourage you to pause, to just be still before God and let him speak to you. And as he does, he will guide you and lead you. He will take you to places you never thought you could go. You see, the closer we come to the heartbeat of God, the more we see our need and the more we desire to be uh, transformed by Christ. Believe it or not, I'm, I'm gonna t- <laughs> I wasn't going to say this, but I am. It's not long till Christmas. <laughs> So I thought I would interject a little bit of the Christmas story. The Magi carried gifts from far away to worship the newborn baby. And on the journey, you'll remember, they stopped off and they chatted to King Herod. And he wanted to worship the baby. Well, so he said. Those two groups, Herod and the kings, used the same term. They come to worship the king. They had very different meanings by what they meant. What meaning do we have? To follow the ways of the world means that we're just uh, like the world. But following the ways of Christ by giving our lives to Christ fully to him means that we could become more and more like him as we are transformed into that new creation that God promises that we can be. There's a story from the time of the early church, and it's about the 40 martyrs of Sebast. And it took place around 320 AD, during the reign of Roman Emperor Emperor Linicus. There was a group of elite Roman soldiers known as the Emperor's Wrestlers. They were the strongest and the best, the bravest of the land. And they were recruited from the great athletes of the Roman amphitheater. In the great arena, they would fight for the emperor. Before each contest, they stood before the emperor's throne and would cry out, We, the wrestlers, are wrestling for you, O emperor, to win for you the victory and from you the victor's crown. When the Roman army was sent to fight in Gaul. No soldiers were braver and more loyal than the band of wrestlers, led by their centurious Sempronius. 
Linicus rejected Constantine's idea of embracing Christianity and instead dispatched a decree to all the armies that said, if there is any among your soldiers who cling to the faith of a Christian, they must die. The decree was received in the dead of winter. The soldiers were camped on the shore of a frozen inland lake. And Sempronius read the emperor's message and he said to the group gathered there, are there any among you who cling to the faith of the Christians? If so, let them step forward. Forty wrestlers instantly stepped forward two paces, respectfully saluted and stood at attention. Sempronius paused. He had not expected so many, nor such select ones. He gave them until sundown to recant their faith. Sundown came. And again the question was asked, and again the 40 wrestlers stepped forward. Sempronius pleaded with them long and earnestly without prevailing upon a single man to deny his Lord. Finally he said, the decree of the emperor must be obeyed, but I'm not willing that your comrade should shed your blood. I order you to march out upon the lake of ice, and I shall leave you there at the mercy of the elements. The 40 wrestlers were stripped of their clothes and then falling into a columns of four marched towards the centre of the lake of ice. As they marched, they broke out into a chant for the arena. 40 wrestlers wrestling for you, O Christ, to win for you the victory and from you the victor's crown. Through the night, Sempronius stood by his campfire and watched. As he waited through that long night, there came to him the fainter and fainter that sound of that restless song. As morning drew near, one figure, overcome by exposure, crept quietly towards the fire. In the extremity of his suffering, he had renounced his Lord. Faintly but clearly from the darkness came the song. Thirty-nine wrestlers wrestling for you, O Christ, to win for you the victory and from you the victor's crown. Sempronius looked at the figure drawing close to the fire. His heart was moved by the dedication and devotion of the Christians that remained. Perhaps he saw eternal light shining there towards the centre of the lake. Who can say? But off came his helmet and clothing, and he sprang upon the ice crying, Forty wrestlers wrestling for you, O Christ to win for you the victory and from you the victor's crown. Life is sometimes difficult. It's sometimes painful. Examples being lost loved ones, health issues, financial struggles, pressures in relationship. There are lots and lots of things that press in. No one is asking you to pre pretend that these things do not affect you. Be real. Acknowledge them. In worship, you are invited to bring these things to the cross, to simply gaze at Jesus. And when you look at him, to allow your response to be worship. Because worship is all about him. And we enter into that worship through the gateway of the cross. Because at the cross, we surrender. At the cross, we cry. At the cross, we kneel. 
we love, we dream. We give up ourselves, we silence ourselves. We confess our sins and we listen to God. We look at God and place him above all else because he alone is worth it. Now just to finish that story of those wrestlers for God, they did indeed die. But even the one who recanted, uh, he was put into a hot bath to revive him and the shock killed him too. So they all lost their lives. But of course, the 40 that remain true live still in heaven. Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. Let us pray. Father God, we thank and praise you for your word that strikes at our hearts the truth of your love. And our response, Lord, is to want to reflect that love back to you to live every aspect of our lives living for you. So in all that we do, Father, help us to bring you glory. May our lives honour you in the way we live. For this is our desire. Help us when we struggle. Give us strength and courage that we might never falter. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.